As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guests today are Tom Frazina, Head of Card Operations at TD Bank, and Santos Joy, EVP and Head of Operations at ActiveOps which is a leading management process automation software company. Today, we're going to talk about operations management, and in particular, the whole COVID experience. In the summer of 2019, TD implemented a planning and control system across its retail card services group. The system, which is provided by ActiveOps, manages operating data and resourcing within the card services team. But just nine months later, COVID-19 hit. How did TD Bank respond? They made a few immediate pivots and innovations to respond to the challenges that the pandemic represented. And then, well, Tom and Santosh are here to tell us some more. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. So, Tom, maybe we could start with you giving me a little bit of background on the TD and your role, uh, for those who don't know about the TD, and maybe tell me a bit about where your team was pre-pandemic. Sure. So, yeah, I've been working for TD Bank now for um, a little bit over four years. I've pretty much been in the banking, you know, mostly in the operations space for uh, probably a little over 30 years now. And TD Bank, you know, well known, of course, in Canada and, you know, on the, especially on the East Coast of the United States, you know, for their retail branch operations and all that. Um, we also have some different credit cards and Visa. But the area I work in is called retail card services. And we offer private label sales financing. So, um, again, these, you know, the kind of a closed loop system, people who want to go and purchase furniture, want to, you know, want to extend it out over time, we interest, you know, offer different plans. Many of them are no interest. It paid off on time and things of that nature. Again, furniture verticals, um, some electronics verticals, jewelry, and a Lord and Garden sector. So that, that's the business we've been in. And uh, where we were pre-pandemic was, I mean, business was continuing to grow. Um, we had gotten into a number of the verticals that I spoke about. They were growing. Private labor sales finance tends to still be a very strong part of the industry. So we were, we were in good place. And, and as you had stated earlier, we probably about nine months or so early had started ActiveOps. I had actually used them when I worked for Barclays over in the UK, and Santosh and a few of the other folks from there. And so as soon as I got into TD, I started to inquire about bringing them in as well, because I was so, so happy with the work they did with my back offices over in the UK. So I was very happy that TD already had a relationship with uh with AOMs and with ActiveOps, so it made it a lot easier for us to actually integrate it in, into our group and um, went 
quite well with my teams. I was very proud of how they kind of went through the initial learnings and all that because it's tough. It's it's when you try to do something different, try to do change, it's never easy. Uh, and it's additional work, you know, and I told everyone, hey, look, the first four or six weeks, it's going to be rougher because you're going to be doing more things than you used to. But believe me, guys, the payoff is there. You just got to kind of hold on. Um, and they looked at me kind of skeptical. But, you know, a couple of weeks later, they really started to see the payoff. And now they couldn't imagine doing without it. That kind of gets up to the pandemic. So that sounds like Santosh, you have a happy client here. So t- tell me a little bit about the installation, at least the particular one that you put in place just before COVID. It was one of our most successful implementations of ActiveOps, uh, our software and our methodology within TD Bank. You know, TD Bank as a customer has been a long-standing customer of ours and a top priority one for sure. And we are you know, closely embedded within what they call their workforce management approach. So um, one of the best implementations that we had, I think it was an implementation that ran for 12 weeks. Tom and his managers were outstanding in terms of their in terms of their response to this. But you know, every implementation goes through its journey. But Tom's senior sponsorship. Um, helped tremendously in terms of making the implementation successful and more importantly in delivering the results. So, Tom, so you've had the party now. You've put the system in place, everybody's happy, and then COVID hits. So when did you start seeing implications of the pandemic and, and what were the kinds of challenges you were faced with as your team first encountered it? Yeah, I mean, actually, I was the last place I had traveled to was to our site where these operations are, which was um, up in northern New Jersey, Mawa, New Jersey, to be specific. And I was actually up there early week of March. And, you know, back then there were certain things in Italy and other parts of the world. We started getting nervous and started thinking, we, we better come up with a plan for this, for operations, besides my back office, but my te- telephonic operations and all that. So we were slowly trying to get some things ready in the background. And then, boom, you know, probably by mid-March, the 16th or 17th, if I remember, you know, TD at that point made a decision that, you know, we were going to start to close down our sites as soon as possible due to the pandemic across the board. U.S., Canada, every place. So we started to kind of get ready and how that would happen. Luckily, at least for this group with AOM, is they already had laptops. So that was a huge issue for me to do it. My phone centers, different story for a different day. But they already had laptops. So they were able to immediately deploy to go to work from home. I think we had a few issues at the beginning because I think the biggest thing wasn't necessarily a work scramble. But the kids' schools at the same time started sending kids home and parents were trying to rearrange schedules and getting their kids up on laptops while they're trying to work and all that. So we definitely saw a dip for a couple of early days, just more, again, people just scrambling overall life disruption. But I would say within three to four days, that team started to get back on track. And again, you know, having the AOM stuff, we knew exactly where we were, if we had any backlogs developed you know, where our whips were, work in progress and all those different things too. So those metrics really helped guide us back to, okay, we got a little bit off track. That happened. No different, to be honest with you, than if we gotten hit with a three-day snowstorm or something like that. You know, so we got, you know, snapped back onto track and, you know, quite quickly we're able to kind of adjust, see where we needed to, add in some overtime. We're able to very easily adjust people's work schedules if needed because, again, the whole school thing and trying people to work that thing out in their life. So I would probably say from, you know, late March into early April, it was a bit of an adjustment, but I was also very happy that we didn't miss any of our service levels and a number of the things in those shops are regulatory in nature. None of those were missed. 
So I understand that the volume started to pick up as well during the initial part of the situation. And the uh, sort of physical requirements changed. So the, you know, where there were signatures involved and stuff like that, it began to be a problem. Tell me a little bit about those kind of actions or kind of issues you were experiencing and what you had to do about them. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with the latter first. Um, we've still dealt with too much paper in that shop. We had been working over the last couple of years to get the paper out. Some was just, you know, where it was overall in our kind of hierarchy of things we wanted to get done. There were certain permissions to be done and everything else like that. I guess the good side, per se, of the pandemic was, you know, now we kind of when you kind of enter that crisis mode, we able to fast track a lot of the approvals to get things done. Our vendors work with us quite well, too. So we were able to automate a lot of our incoming mail and immediately send that to a vendor to start scanning that because we used to get a couple thousand pieces a day that people physically had to go through. So within a week or two, we started to get that stuff scanned automatically. We also had an issue on the back end. We also used to mail out a lot of letters. And we were looking for a long time to put those, you know, kind of on mail distributions coming out of print centers, either internally to the bank or with one of our vendors. Never quite got there. Well, we did with this thing. So within, you know, a couple of weeks after that, we started to slowly move our work over. But again, we had to make sure it was done in the correct and quality controlled manner. So we had a little bit of interim where people still had to go in and pick up mail a couple of times a week and, or print stuff. But I'd say within a couple of weeks after that, we were able to, to knock that piece out. Now, initially in our customer volumes, it was... You know, we, everyone, as much as we were scrambling, so were our consumers and our partners. Because again, as I said earlier, we're a partnership business. So everyone, the same token was kind of scrambling. So I say initial volumes actually got a little quiet for a while as people were trying to react. But immediately right after that on our consumer business, you know, the people, the consumers who we deal with, we started to see a lot more, you know, people coming in wanting to check, especially on credit bureaus and things like that. Because at the same time, people were becoming very concerned about their credit bureaus. And this has been an ongoing trend, but it really escalated during the COVID crisis. Partly, you know, people kind of, you know, philosophized that it might just people had more time on their hands. They were using more of these services. Also, if people are looking for other credit means and things like that, your credit had to be quite good and different, not just in our industry, but across mortgages and everything else. So people kept an eye on. So those credit things really boomed by about 20 or 30% these credit bureau researches. So that really entered a lot into our capacity piece as well. On our other side, we also deal with merchant disputes. So a consumer might say, hey, I got this couch, but it's not exactly the shade of green that I desired. And, you know, we typically have to get those done in, you know, 60 odd days. Well, our merchants are a big part of it. And a lot of them were not there because their stores had closed down and things like that. So we had to work to try to figure out a way to keep the investigation going, keep the consumer whole so she or he didn't don't get penalized or put in a negative spot. And meanwhile, you know, we, we floated a few of these merchants for a couple of weeks where we normally would have done what we call the chargeback saying, hey, you haven't answered us. Boom, you kind of lose. You know, we're giving back this money to the consumer. We, we knew the, the merchants were in a rough shape at this time, especially the smaller guys. So we floated a number of them for a while. But again, this all added to our work queues and things like that. And again, having AOM, we were able to, you know, active ops, I apologize, I keep using the old acronym. We, um, we were able to see where our inventories were very easily. We were able to quickly kind of make determination that, you know, hey, when, when we do have to process this work, you know, what kind of overtime needs we'd be planning out our, our people's PTO and things like that as well. So all that came together. And again, by having, you know, active ops in the middle of all this, it really did help us give us that roadmap. So what else was going on in the marketplace, Santosh? Uh, other clients experiencing similar things? What, what other sorts of things were happening that uh, affected people's back office? Well, so when you, when you look back 12 months, <clears throat> Jerry, literally every organization that we worked through 
and I think more widely the ones that we didn't work through, they all went through this whole pivot, survive, adapt, and thrive sort of a realism of, you know, especially when something like a pandemic actually takes takes an enterprise by surprise. So I think most organizations, the, the enterprise ones, you of course had this mass exodus of people and technology and ways of working from, you know, from an office to a home. I think that was sort of the overarching, you know, trend at that point in time. But while all of this was going on, there was also a certain way in which organizations were responding to this challenge. So, so organizations who could confidently access real-time operations data on work, on resource, on capacity, on time across their footprint, because you know you have onshore businesses, and then you have off, you know they have their extensions offshore. I think, in terms of response rates, organizations who had all of this responded quicker and in a more sort of an agile and resilient manner in comparison to those who didn't. So, and, and while this was going, you know, most businesses still had to continue to, as they say, run operations. So you still had to meet SLAs. The regulations were only getting tighter. Uh, risk and security, if anything, was on everyone's agenda. And then you've got to manage the whole exodus. So while operations runs, that's what businesses need to focus. That's what businesses exist. While you had to keep in tune with the changes that the pandemic was doing it, what was presenting, you had to be agile, you had to be resilient. And as work moved, as people moved from from offices to homes, the challenges only increased. And many organizations did well, and some organizations didn't do well. But talking about organizations that did well, I think they did well because they reduced their time from that pivoting to thriving point of view. You know, in terms of that journey, and 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 these were the ones who were able to easily flex their resources. Coincidentally, they were also the ones who got better control because they had better access to data. But they were also the ones who later, when the pandemic slowly started to settle, immediately shifted focus from, "Oh, we are now we've now adjusted. We are now adapting to this challenge. Let's now shift to what our people are actually doing at home." So they focus on employee things like employee well-being employee inclusion, the days and the day. I think that focus also started to increase. So in truth, the organizations were very busy getting work done. They were living with the challenges that the pandemic presented them, but they were also sort of finding their path. And I think the key thing is from the pivot to survive, to thrive, the ones that reduce that, that curve did well a lot more quicker. And especially the common theme, I think, with all of these organizations was the ones that had operational control were able to assert efficiency and effectiveness more seamlessly, more smoothly, as compared to those who didn't. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in 
backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L. Or email Jerry at jerry.purcell at innovation360group.com. So, Tom, I read a piece of data the other day that 70% of employees going forward are looking for flexible working options. How has the pandemic affected them in that way, but other sort of ways that uh, you're observing, you know, now that we're into the process and almost over, hopefully? Yeah, I mean, across my piece, you know, not just in the operation we're talking about, you know, as Santa said, I kept, you know, lots of communications with my teams, had lots of little mini huddles just to see how people were doing, especially in the early days. And, uh, I would say probably 70% is pretty low. My people are probably running at about 92 to 95% saying they would like to remain at home. Um, there's a small group of population that says, hey, they want to go back into the office full time. Whatever's happening at home is driving them crazy. And I, I'd probably say there might be another 15 to 20% who miss some of the interaction in the office, but enjoy the flexibility they have of working remote. You know, overall, especially in this group that we're talking about, the back office operations, one of the reasons we gave them laptops back in 2018 was, well, we had this other solution for a, for a hot site, which never really, to me, made a lot of sense because everyone else used the same provider. And if there was a major problem in northern New Jersey, there would be people trying to cram through the doors and couldn't fit. So we said, look, our people can do this via laptop, their work. So we always had that bit of a remote option and people enjoyed the flexibility of, yet. Yeah, Traditionally, back then, their work was in the office. But hey, if they had to stay home because the cable guy was coming in that 12 to 4 window, sure, you could work from home that day. That was fine. We made it flexible. And I think we got a lot back from our employees. You know, if they needed to work overtime because we got behind in a certain queue or things like that, they were more than happy to jump on. You know, especially in in an area like in northern New Jersey where 30 miles can take you, you know, an hour to an hour and a half to drive. You know, each way that that the getting back that commute time was was very important to them. And actually, we've made the decision now that for this site where most of this work is done, that's going to be 100 percent remote workforce going forward. So they are all very happy about that piece. They enjoy the flexibility gives them in their lives. And again, this is not it's important work that needs to get done, but it's not like a call center where they need to be tied to hours. If they need to pull 10 minutes away to get their kids on the bus or off the bus, they can do that and get right back into their work thing. So I think this is really going to benefit all of us down the road. And like I said, you know, sometimes on a Saturday, if I need two or three hours, people like weren't looking forward to driving into work, doing it and going home. But now if they want to jump on the computer at 6 a.m., get a couple of hours in of overtime and still can enjoy, you know, a soccer game or what our family time, you know, we I think we both win. So what have you learned from this whole process in terms of things that perhaps you didn't appreciate the value of, like data or you know, whatever? Like what, what sort of things have become more important to you do you think that this is sort of maybe brought to light? Well, I think what, what it really brought to light to us, because we were asking more questions now because we had this pandemic, and I'll give you a better example in a minute, than we didn't used to ask is, you know, sometimes volumes would go up for a certain reason. And, you know, we, we'd be able to identify quickly through our workwear and different pieces like that. But we never would ask the questions why then it would go down. And then we would not really pay a lot of mind to it. But during the pandemic, we really were trying to figure out, okay, why did that go up? Was that pandemic related? Is it going to be a short-term effect, right? Um, we saw some short-term effects in my call centers where customers' arrival patterns changed. So, But that's a big deal because, if, for example, we needed to change schedules. That's a significant move to move people's schedules. And you don't want to do that 
because then all if the pattern changes back in you again, you got to reverse it all and it's just a mess. So we were learning that, you know, with consumers in the past, we would see behavior changes and things like that and different work coming in. But we wouldn't necessarily maybe investigate the whys. It would come, it would go. I think with COVID, though, we really try to make a decision of, okay, what is this? Is this COVID related? Is this short term, long term and all of those matters? So I think we did a lot more due diligence and we're able to look at the data and get a little bit better information out of it. And there were certain things that were transitory. I, I spoke about earlier about these merchant disputes. I kind of got piled up because the merchants weren't around. Well, once the merchants started getting back into their offices and or they figured out how to do the remote thing, by mid-April, late April, we were, we were like pretty much back to normal there. And that was really a very short-term event. We didn't have to change any of our long-term functions or anything else like that. But those credit bureau disputes continued to kind of rise. And then the initial thought was, well, this is just a reaction. People are nervous, you know, about losing their jobs, about, you know, how they're going to pay the mortgage and the rent and their credit bureaus. And that that would go away. Those things continue to accelerate. So by using it, we were able to start to look and quickly trained up some of our people that were working in certain areas like merchant disputes and even our fraud areas, which had gone down a little bit, retrained them and cross-trained them and had them work immediately over in our credit bureau disputes so we wouldn't miss it there. So I think really what COVID kind of taught us was we should have been doing this all the time. Anytime we saw a blip or something, you know, investigate it a little bit deeply to see if that's really a changing trend in your business or is that something that was just going to be a short-term thing? And just don't always assume that just because it went away two weeks from now, it wasn't going to come back again two weeks later and put you well out of position. And again, having the different things with active ops and having our people cross-trained even if it was a temporary swing, we could make those swings and get people back to their regular functions as needed. So, uh, Santosh, I recall before COVID that the big deal was figuring out how to integrate robots into the process and you know all these different kinds of labor and stuff. Now, now we have changed in the way work is done, hybrid workforces, uh, you know, perhaps even the you know the ability to apply AI to patterns and predicting resources going forward and stuff. What do you, what do you think is coming in the marketplace now that Tom can depend on you know for the next five years for, for his business? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean because you said sort of pre-pandemic, you know, the truth is the world was already transforming um, and many large organizations, and Tom, I'm sure you, you, you'll agree, but, you know, you guys as banks or healthcare organizations, you were already looking at your operations, transformation, digital automation journeys. If anything, I think the pandemic, it not necessarily changed that approach, but I think what it did is it presented the opportunities for large enterprises to accelerate those journeys. Now, in, in terms of acceleration, I think it, it was a good point to say, oh, we already had a plan in place. My, you know, is my transformation, automation, digital agenda, is it still fit for purpose? If not, let me quickly make the change because this new normal is something I wasn't prepared for. And you know, I know people make references to new normal. I'd like to call it the next normal because you don't know how long it's going to last. Now, you know, some of the realities that businesses had to come in, in truth with was one big one is we, we had to recognize some new realities. The, the focus on employee well-being, on autonomy, on, you know, it suddenly became extremely important in the workplace. And I start at this point because I think we should not forget the humans as we start talking about bots. We might end up seeing, if we not already are, a convergence of three or four of the most studied generations in the workplace. And I think it's already happening. 
Now, again, in the past, when it came to data, and I heard you mention that a couple of times, Shelly, we measured everything. You know, we measured everything. The pandemic taught us, it's, it taught us to, imp- to measure what's important. It's, you know, it gave us this, this thing. It's not why you measure, it's what you measure. So businesses were presented the opportunity to decide the purpose. What is it that we want to decide well in advance? Then you build systems and support, you know, to sort of derive that purpose, you know, the completion of data. You know, how much of time do we actually spend collecting data that is so much of less time to analyze it? You know, I, I think these are some of the realities that came forward. And then the other big one is the whole compliance and risk in those bits. Now, I think as we go into what I call, you know, the next novel, I think the workplace has changed. We had to reset. Work, office, time, they all became fluid by necessity. So, so resilient companies, I think, now have the opportunity to reimagine an adaptive, future-fit hybrid workforce in a hybrid workplace. And I think that's going to give, you know, that's going to give businesses the competitive advantage, the, the operations excellence and control that's much needed uh, in, in, in terms of what the future is, is, is going to present. So uh, you just speak about bots. I think there's a place for them. But in, if you read through articles, the amount of focus I think bots took probably a, a backseat in the terms of focus. I think the, the people suddenly came to the fore. Uh, it's the aspect of, you know, I go back again to the employee engagement, to the employee well-being part. Now, I think the future, as I said, a hybrid workforce in a hybrid workplace. What I mean by that, a hybrid workforce is humans and bots. We're already used to that. A hybrid workplace is, you know, to Tom's point, we've got a large mass of people who want to stay at home. Some of them who who want a bit of home and a bit of office. And all of those who had cabin fever want to get back to office. Now, that's going to change the way you're going to look at data. When are you going to need it? And I think you will need it much more real time in due course. You're going to need, now you're going to need data that's real time that sort of converges humans and bots. You can't, you can't keep measuring efficiencies in two different ways. You need one common measure of efficiency. Productivity is going to become all the more important because you're going to have people sort of rotating between you know their, their places of work. Now, all of this essentially means that your 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 demand on your transformation journey and digital journey, if anything, is 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 probably going to increase a little more. And 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 that means when you as you go out and create that hybrid workforce, as you go out and create that hybrid workplace, being adaptive is significant. And organizations that have great operational control, great operational excellence journeys, and of course, the reliability on data when they need it to make those decisions, I think are going to continue to succeed. Excellent. So, Tom, how do you imagine things going forward? Um, I I agree with the hybrid approach. I mean, we're looking more at bots and things like that, too. You know, several years ago, it was bots will be doing everything and that'll be everything. And, you know, it didn't quite get there, but I think that's okay. I think it was always going to be as... Santa said a bit of a mixture. So we're looking at things now. We deployed a few bots during the pandemic in, in a few different areas, uh, including one area that was like we were giving relief to consumers. But as we did that, we wanted to be sure we were doing it correctly, accurately. And of course, there's uh, the ever ending kind of need from upper management to know how many people applied, how many, how much is it worth all this stuff, you know, almost on a minute by minute basis. So the bots are the only way to get to these records as they became larger and larger. 
but I think, you know, it's getting to that point of, you know, where does it make the most sense to invest in that? You know, is it is it smart to invest in a bot? Is it smart to invest in a new workflow system or things like that? You know, you don't want to be putting a number of bots out there that, that really hide a bigger problem that you might have to work on systemically. And actually, we reorganized, um, you know, through my leadership during the thing where I had kind of more of a global picture of just one piece of operation. So she broke out my organization. So now there's a gentleman who's a peer of mine who's just working on some transformation, looking at bots, looking at all different efforts and kind of looking at the full array out there to see how we're going to move ahead. And it's going to be a little bit of each. It's going to be a little bit of smattering of different workflow tools, new systems, uh, as well as bots, as well as, again, just also people performance. How can we improve our people with things like, you know, active ops and other programs to help with coaching to help us get where we need to be. And, and Jerry, I just, I just want to continue the thought process a little more. I, I think large enterprises, organizations, they've got access to great technology. And now at the end of a pandemic, hopefully, I think we have, we've always had a committed workforce. I think we have an even more committed workforce now. But there's a world out there that is ever-changing. It's going to present us different realities every single day. To your point, what defines a future fit organization is not just access to all of this, but it's the rate at which organizations continue to exploit these assets so that they can gain control and gain it quicker. It's a question of building capability and investing in management process automation. It's an, you know, essentially an ecosystem that you want to get to as soon as possible that converges technology, people, and process. Thank you. So, Tom, one last question. So what, what advice would you give today's leaders in terms of addressing some of the challenges in the marketplace today? So, I mean, again, is the old thing that, of just being flexible because you never know what next curveball is going to be thrown at you and always having options ready. So one thing I've learned in my 30 plus years of ops, you know, just being ready for the unexpected and not just assuming things are going to go a certain way. And I think part of it, too, was we were able to respond quite well in this area and other areas because we had thought about a lot of different things as different improvements. Some of them were quite hard to do. Some of them weren't as important. But we kind of kept that kind of inventory, you know, some were written down, some were more mental inventory saying, hey, what if we ever tried to do a work from home skit with our phone reps, right? So we actually kind of noodled what that would look like. But we never really went further with it because there was investments in real estate. There was a lot of technology hurdles, a lot of HR hurdles. But we had at least thought out those questions. So I think kind of by doing some of these mini desktop things or sometimes, you know, they're done over coffee or over a beer someplace, you know, we always kind of thought ourselves about all these different scenarios. So when actually it came to saying, oh, now we really have to do this, we had already had, you know, a good part of the work done or started to ask the right questions. We were able to quickly, you know, modify. It, the, the result was never what we initially would have thought it was going to be, but it got us pretty much there and gave us what we needed at that point. So, again, my, my thing in operations is doing that, you know, being open to different things. I mean, again, knowing your data and knowing that, all the bots and everything else in the world is great, but unless you know where you're exactly at, you're going to just be lost. And so we were kind of, you know, we really just taught us again just to reground ourselves. Where's our numbers? What's driving it? And then move the piece forward and then see what's the best solution for it. So it's also that kind of going back to what, what brought you there as well. Thank you, gentlemen. So that wraps up this episode. As always, I look forward to hearing thoughts from you, our listeners, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. If you like the show, tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or post a comment. 
go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows. Tom and Santos, thank you very much for chatting with me today. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.